Hello, friends. We are back with episode 76 of the Our Weekly Highlights podcast. My name is Eric, and as always, I'm very happy to be joined by my excellent co-host, Mike Thomas. Mike, how's it going today, friend? Doing great. Coming down off of the high that was uh, the, the Absalon Art Studio Shiny Conference last week, which I think we're going to touch on today. So uh, having, a, having a good week after that so far. Awesome. Yeah, we're going to we're going to have a lot to say about that effort uh, coming up shortly. And it's been a, a mix of, of uh, fun stuff and some plugging up holes in the dev world. But I am always learning something new every week that I'm sure I'll be sharing in some rants and future live streams down the road. Um, so, yeah, this issue is interesting because I happen to know who the curator is. It's this old doofus right here that's talking. It was me. Yes. Um, so I had lots of fun curating this issue. And boy, what a great week to do it because of all the great news that came out of it. So, But of course, I cannot do any of this without the very generous help of my fellow curators and the great pull requests I got into the repo um, right when I was curating this issue. So everybody in the community that contributed to issue 76, thank you very much. It made my job a heck of a lot easier. So without further ado, let's get into it. Oh, so it was you this week. That's why we have nine highlights that are all shiny related, huh? Hmm. hmm. Is there a correlation there, perhaps? Hmm. Hmm. Food for thought for our listeners. Yes. Um, (laughs) Well, so for our first highlight, it would actually be music to the ears of, I would say, a couple of eccentric entertainers I watched in my formative years. They had some unique nicknames. Their names were Bubba Ray and Devon. Just stay with me for a second. So see Bubba, at certain points of their demonstrations, he really had one very direct, you might say, command to his brother Devon. He would say, Now, often these tables were used for rather nefarious purposes, but in our first highlight, I would I think Bubba would be very pleased, especially if he was looking to up his data analysis presentation game, because I'm very excited that in this first highlight, it is the brand new R Studio Community Table Gallery was just released. And Curtis Kephart, who I've had the pleasure of working um, with quite closely for the Shiny Dev series. And Richie Own, who is the author of the very popular GT package for table generation, and who is also a member of the Shiny team, they announced the availability of the gallery on the R Studio blog. And I'm very happy to say that we, even us fine friends at R Weekly, have a little bit of a presence on this gallery. But Mike, why don't you tell us a little bit about what you're um, very pleased about with what we're seeing here? Sure. Really excited to see this hit the airwaves and appreciate everybody that's worked hard on this. I know Curtis was working quite hard on getting this out there and uh, appreciate all the content that uh, folks took a lot of time to create beautiful tables that we now have access to. So, you know, one of the most helpful resources for me when I was starting my shiny journey course, I have to link this to Shiny somehow, was our studio's Shiny Gallery, which showcases a bunch of different open source Shiny apps and dashboards, as well as the code snippets uh, and example apps for many of the different Shiny widgets. Really useful resource, especially if you're uh, just getting started in in your journey. So I'm really excited to see that tables are getting the same treatment that Shiny got in terms of a gallery 
to serve the community. I think this serves a couple purposes. You know, not only is it a great place for developers to get inspired and view example code and documentation for building their own tables, but it also serves as a great place to point maybe non-technical managers to see the art of the possible and get buy-in into R itself and, and creating tables that maybe you weren't building in R previously and, and now doing so in R. I know that R Studio is pushing a lot of initiatives to try to help developers get buy-in for doing data science at their organization. And I wanna shout out Rachel Dempsey and other members of the R Studio team for their work on the R Studio Champions initiative, which is a pretty new resource that you can find at rstudio.com backslash champion for doing exactly that, helping advocate for data science at your organization through some great videos and use cases. You know, I imagine that tables themselves might dominate maybe some industries more than others. I'm thinking of, of life sciences and publications and pharma, et cetera, where Static documentation, you know, needs to get sent to, to regulators and not everything can be interactive. Um, but I think that tables in general are just really super underrated way to present data. You know, when you first think of tables, they might not sound really exciting to the uninitiative, uninitiated, but when you see the things people in the R community are doing with tables in this gallery, it does not take long to get absolutely blown away. So please check it out. You know, the power that we have to organize information in all sorts of crazy nested formatted ways through packages like GT, Reactable, and DT is just fantastic. Check out the gallery if you haven't already. And like you alluded to, Eric, uh, you may even spot a nice little table created by Catchbrook Analytics in there. Yeah, I, I enjoy reading about that. And also our fellow curator of Real Nakagawara has a great table about expected goals and shot timelines for his favorite uh, sports, soccer or football for the rest of the world. Um, so those are both uh, great use cases of, um, uh, you know, packages like GT and, and many more. Um, the gallery is very inspiring. You're going to see something for everybody here. And some are extremely sophisticated with interactivity, but you don't always need that as as you alluded to, Mike, I am in an industry where the static representations are certainly been at the forefront historically, but I'm happy to say that we're slowly starting to get um, some, you might say, traction or some excitement around presenting interactive, you know, tables, but they can be sent as standalone documents. Like not every table has to be a, in, a shiny, have to be interactive because they can do everything on the client side with interactions, you could have something like an interactive R markdown report with some nice you know, logical controls in a table to avoid printing, say like 50 pages of like a different group for each table. We're, we're kind of beyond that now and we're starting to see some work streams and some of the circles I frequent of trying to bring some of these modern approaches to how we represent, you know, clinical results. So it's an exciting time right now um, to be getting into tables for sure. Absolutely. And that's a great point. You know, I think, you know, we're super shiny fans, obviously, for anybody that's ever listened to this. But I think sometimes it's easy for us to take for granted that maybe not all situations call for giving an end user a million widgets to toggle. Sure. And just maybe pointing them towards a more straightforward uh, static story. 
about what exactly it is that we want them to consume, what that story is that we're trying to tell them. So I think for, for you know certain use cases, more interactivity is great. And I think for other use cases, less interactivity can actually be a really good thing. Yeah, choice is powerful here. And I think, you know, going making a couple of these, especially some of the new tooling that the gallery is going to highlight in each of these use cases, um, I think it can lead to a lot of insights from both whoever is going to be consuming those results, but also you as the storyteller, the data analysis reporter of, of sorts, being able to find effective ways of using not just text, but using, say, formatting, using other, you know, very nice features that will put visual cues on maybe the key stories you want to tell or the key trends that you want the end customer to take away from. I And without you having to be a huge expert in graphic design to do it, there's lots of effective tooling here. And my hope is that this will be much like the shiny gallery, we're going to see updates to this from time to time, and we're going to see new tooling showcase. But, but yeah, I'm going to have a lot of fun uh, diving into some of the code and the, and the narrative behind a lot of these. And a lot of these did originate from the uh, table contest that occurred last year. And I hope that's a regular thing that our studio puts out as well. Absolutely. Absolutely. So Eric, you know, I want to highlight that you were really involved last week in, in the Shiny Conference. Do you want to tell us a little bit more about what happened last week and maybe uh, pointed towards the, the highlight that you put together here? You bet. Yeah, it was an epic time last week for the Shiny community and Absalon ran the first ever Shiny Conference. Um, our studio had a big part in this as well. And, you know, sometimes you never know how these conferences will go the first time around. And as someone who's been on the other side of these, helping organize and set things up with the uh, R Pharma conference, um, I know firsthand that there's a lot of immense effort needed for you know getting the planning of the program of the talks, getting all the tech squared away, ensuring that the audience is engaged throughout the event. Um, it's no small task at all, but I think Absalon um, did a fantastic job of running this. And certainly, um, what was unique about it is that it was trying to be both friendly to the our, our, our wonderful friends over in the EU area time zones, as well as us here on the other side of the pond. So I, I wasn't able to see all the talks, but I'm hopeful that in a couple of weeks, the recordings will be up so I can catch up on what I missed. But there were a lot of interesting themes, interesting demonstrations of powerful, shiny applications in many different industries. And I think um, two of the developments that are getting a lot of the a lot of the talk on social media and some of the other circles within Shiny itself were highlighted by the, by Sharon Macklis, who is one of the very top writers of InfraWorld Digest. She's been actually covering R and open source data science for quite a while, and has been one of my favorite people to follow um, whenever she writes her articles. But she was attending a conference like us. And she, she hit on a couple of developments that I think are going to be hugely influential in our community. One of those is um, Absalon's own framework for scaffolding shiny applications in a very software engineered principal way called Rhino. 
That's a cool name, um, but it's easy to remember. But it, in, in essence, Rhino encapsulates many of the lessons or patterns that the team at Absalon has been using in their shiny app development when they consult with their clients. And it is a little different than another package that uh, Mike and I are huge fans of called Golem. It doesn't quite go the full package route, but it does take some opinionated approaches to practices like modules, setting up functions for business logic, setting up custom UI tweaks. And to be honest, I haven't had a chance to play with it yet, but I'm hoping to very soon to kind of give it, give it a little rundown to see where it fits in my workflow. And then the other major development, um, I'm happy to also relay the news that Shiny Test 2 from our studio and Barish Slurky, the very talented developer of the package, this was kind of its uh, coming out party at, at the conference. And many of us, maybe I'll speak for myself here, but the very first version of Shiny Test, which was based on Phantom JS at the back end, I have used and frankly quite abused it many, many times in my past projects. But Shiny Test 2 is kind of similar to what RM is to PackRat. It's learning, it's making a lot of things more efficient learning lessons from things that maybe didn't go quite so smoothly in the first shiny test. And I'm really excited to bring, you know, a very easy to set up framework for application, you know, UI testing and other forms of testing in my shiny apps without a lot of hassle like I had in the past. There's obviously much more that's happened at the conference. And I was very happy to be chairing a couple of different panel discussions, one of which Mike, you were very much a, a key part of uh, talking about shiny consulting and also the keynote panel at the end with uh, Joe Chang, Winston Chang and Philip from Absalon. <laughs> there was even a little teaser thrown in there about what's kind of in the future of shiny. Joe's being a little coy about it. He's saying, and Winston are saying that they can't talk about it yet, but apparently something really big is coming later this year. Um, Potentially at our studio cop, I was trying to play a little, uh, you know, teaser of getting the scoop out there for the audience, but they, they weren't budging, but we will, we'll find out eventually. But again, overall awesome conference and I can't wait for the next one, hopefully next year. So first of all, again, kudos to Sharon Macklis of the InfoWorld Digest for pushing out a ton of content in the form of short videos that are always showcasing the latest and greatest out of the R ecosystem. Last week was so much fun getting to virtually gather for the conference. There were so many great presentations. And like you, I was really blown away by one of the tutorials that Sharon highlights in her blog, uh, Barrett's introduction to the Shiny Test 2 package. I learned a bunch of things from that talk, including that there is an R package called Chromote for launching a headless Chrome browser which is very interesting. And Shiny Test 2 utilizes you know, both Chromote for launching the app headlessly and test that for storing the reactive values of an app state after setting some of the inputs and, and comparing those stored values over time. So, so much to uh, take away from this conference. It actually worked out really well for me because my sleep schedule is all over the place with a newborn <laughs> at home that a lot of these times actually lined up great being early in the morning or, or really late at night for me on the East Coast. So thanks again to Absalon. Thanks to you, Eric, for um, you know taking the lead on a couple of those panel discussions. 
I, you know, was super interested in the the final one as well, the the closing keynote with uh, the folks from our studio and, and Philip from Absalon. So very excited to see what the next big things coming out of Shiny will be later this year. Yeah, the speculation is running rampant, um, but I think it'll be it'll be something big one way or another. And another interesting little teaser for the other panel that you and I were a part of. Um, We'll have the recording out hopefully soon. But one thing that I totally did not plan for that just came organically is all of you on my panel. You know, you, Tanya, um, Dean, we, you were all unified and pushing the modules at the forefront for application development. Uh, and now everyone knows I'm a, I'm a huge proponent of it, but I did not I did not precede any of you with that. So I, I really like the organic advice that I got. And I, I took a lot from that too. Yes. I think if you were drinking uh, every time someone said the word modules, <laughs> you would have been in trouble by the end. Yeah. There's a <laughs> reason this conference talk. is in the morning, folks. <laughs> <laughs> For us anyway. <laughs> oh, that was, yeah, it was, it was a great experience. And like I said, I'm really looking forward to seeing the recordings out. We had some excellent keynotes, uh, one from Jacqueline Nolis about her journey with shiny and web development that was really entertaining and and insightful and yeah there's there's a lot more nuggets to share and i'm starting to parse through my notes on some of the things to follow up on and credit to you as well you had a great talk on creating custom ui cards with shiny as well so very very nice work there thank you yeah i believe that if they're not already the videos from the conference should be up on youtube pretty soon Lastly, of our highlights, this is a little ironic because I had a what I thought might have been a speculative comment back when we were talking um, a couple episodes about, ago about how much uh, attention that the Quarto project is bringing to the art community. Um, Quarto, um, for those that didn't listen a couple episodes ago, is the brand new kind of scientific publishing. Uh, platform that our studio is creating um, with firsthand support for both R and Python and even Julia as well. So it's, a, you might say, a next generation of our markdown. And what I had said in a couple like sentences, I recall in our, in our wrap-up of that, was that I didn't envision our markdown going away. Now, of course, I am not an author of R Markdown. I'm just a very big consumer of it. But I am very thankful that arguably the founding father of R Markdown himself, Ihue Sia, has kind of taken you know, a very detailed approach to assuring the audience of R Markdown customers like us and many others in the R community that just because Quarto is, is getting a lot of attention now, R Markdown is here to stay. So um, Eway on his blog um, has stated quite a few pieces um, about where our markdown is, um, where it relates to Quarto itself. But the main, the, main, the main point I want to make sure people are taking away from here is that you are not obligated to switch to Quarto right now. If, if our markdown is working for you, stick with it. It's not being swept away. It's not being taken away. 
um, it's going to be maintained. And th there are definitely places where that is still going to be perhaps a preferred workflow for many of you out there. Yeah, we've covered Quarto a couple times recently, um, and it's certainly one of, if not the biggest news in the art community right now. I haven't tried it out yet, but I know that you have, Eric, and check out Eric's live stream on YouTube, Shiny Dev Series, where he fires up Quarto himself and shows off a few of the capabilities that he found interesting. Um, I, I know it's going to be right there on my second screen watching that episode when I finally work up the gall to, to try out Quarto myself. <laughs> I'm sure there are a lot of folks in the community who love our markdown and probably use it day in and day out and are worried about what Quarto means for their current workflow. But like you said, you know, eWay put together a really nice blog post this week, letting us know that our markdown is not going anywhere. Uh, it'll continue to be maintained, but mostly for bug fixes and small updates. And he provides a really nice opinion in the summary of the blog post where he says, at this point, I think the benefits for other communities to try Quarto are more significant than our users. Mm. Our Markdown will continue to exist and be maintained. Um, I do not think our Markdown users need to hurry to the switch. Another thing that may give you some peace of mind is that Quarto can render uh, RMD documents without any modification too. So you can continue to write .RMD instead of .QMD. And if you like Quarto's rendering, great. If not, the door is still wide open for you to come back. So that, that was a really great summary that Eway put together. Um, I love Eway. You know, it, it can't be understated what our markdown has done for data science um, in general. So appreciate him putting this blog post together. He has a, a fascinating episode on the R podcast years back where he really dives into all sorts of different topics around open source, his mental health as he was developing open source uh, and, and joining our studio. And that gives some really powerful, I think, insight into the people behind some of these packages that we take for granted, you know, that I talk about all the time. So that's another shout out that maybe we'll put in, uh, in the links uh, here. But uh, like I said, Quarto is here. Our markdown's not going anywhere. Sort of pick your poison and, and check out the blog post. Yeah. Oh, you you brought back the feels on that on that talk with Eway. I remember as if it was yesterday. We're sitting somewhere in the hallway of that conference venue. This was at an R Studio Conf, one of the first ones, I believe. And I'd given him like a a, a very um, simple set of topics to talk about. I had no idea he was going to be that forthcoming about his journey um, as a software developer and open source and with our studio. I still am so amazed at how generous he was with sharing his experience and really nice guy. Um, he was also my first ever guest on the R podcast many, many years ago, my first ever interview. So I always, I always uh, speak the praises of Eway whenever I, I get a chance and hopefully I'll see him in a couple months at our studio conf. Um, but, but I'm very happy that, yeah, he put this post out there and we are seeing some people in the community saying, okay, well, I have this existing workflow for say book down to create an online book or, or other areas where there's always been like these dedicated packages in the R Markdown ecosystem to produce these formats. And I'm always at the mindset, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. You know, you, you don't have to use Quartal's version of making a book if you got book down working well for you. So it's, it's, I'm very happy that there, there's choice here. 
But to, to his point that you mentioned in your in your summary there, um, this is Cordo's giving, um, you know, the Python community, the Julia community, um, very similar access to this paradigm of reproducible analysis and scientific publishing that we've been spoiled with for many years of our markdown itself. So, but yeah, um, whether it's Quartal, the Shiny Conference, or the Table Gallery, we got way more than just that in this issue of our weekly. As I mentioned, I had tons of fun curating this, this issue. And one of the other uh, hidden gems in there, if you will, that I wanted to give a quick shout out to is a new tool by our friends at Jumping Rivers called Diffify. Hopefully I'm saying that right. It's an interesting web UI to do something that comes up a lot in enterprise or production grade development of seeing what's changing at a very quick and targeted way between upgrades or package versions. Now, this can be very helpful. Like I have a, a story from many years ago when I was helping consult a team using ggplot2 for this nice uh, novel visualization of some Bayesian modeling results. And they had ggplot2, the version that we had internally at our at our work environment. And then this, uh, this TPO or this third-party organization were trying to use that same code with the R installation they had on their side. They did not have the same version of ggplot2. And guess what? One of us wasn't able to run the code after some updates. Oof, the pain. And of course, I was asked, like, Eric, what, what could happen here? And I had, to, I had to really narrow down, like, the code's the same? But then when I heard that bit about ggplot2 being upgraded, that's when I said, uh-oh, we got to go to the news file. We got to go to, you know, any way of, like, seeing what was changed. So this tool could be extremely helpful to people that are in that similar situation where maybe either a project that's being extended in the future or you have multiple collaborators with slightly different R environments being able to narrow down what might be different between versions of packages that they're all using. So great tool and I can't wait to explore that more. That sounds like it has a ton of potential. I'm excited to check out that highlight and dive into Diffify as well. I know the folks over at Jumping Rivers do some pretty cool stuff. So yeah, great point. Uh, great catch there, Eric. I read Ryan Garnett's uh, blog post on the RStudio website that was titled Speed Up Data Analytics and Wrangling with Parquet Files, Ooh. which is right up my alley. Um, in my opinion, there's really no reason to not switch from like CSV or text flat file storage to Parquet Files. First off, the files are literally smaller, roughly like six times smaller in the benchmarks that Ryan did. And second, you don't have to set up some sort of relational database um, if you're working on a project. You can just put the Parquet files in whichever directories you want, and you can essentially query them using dplyr syntax and, and the arrow package. So Ryan shows how incredibly a group by and count on 66 million rows of data took 38 minutes against a CSV file and less than one second against a Parquet file. So wild, wild. But um, the, the, the advantages are, are orders of magnitude. Great blog post out of our studio. Well done. Ryan, I think it got shared around pretty well in the community this week. So I think it was a great feature in the highlights as well. I'm having one of those like jaw dropping moments hearing that because 
boy, oh boy, that could have a huge benefit in some of the work I do where I'm basically creating my own, you know, voluminous results of say clinical simulations. Boy, that, that is a, that, that's quite a result for optimization. So I know you've been beating the parquet drum for a bit. Maybe I need to start uh, putting on my headphones and listen to that a bit more because that could really benefit my work. That's, can't wait to read more about that. It's a lot less scary than maybe it sounds. I promise. Yeah. Well, yeah, that is one of those areas where it's kind of like, kind of like the similar feelings I had with data.table. I know it's quite powerful. I just never really got into it yet because I wasn't sure about the syntax, but boy, what you just said, that's, that's quite, that's quite a lot of motivation maybe to uh, get started with that. So yeah, excellent find there as well. And there's much more than just that. Definitely check out the full issue. Where is that? Oh, well, I hope you know where that is by now, but I'll remind you it is rweekly.org. You're going to find all the highlights at the top. We'll also put a link to this very podcast once I get it out there as well. So you'll be able to see it all in one place. And also be sure to check out the back catalogs. There's always great content that's being shared every single week. And as always, I mention you, especially in light of our events at the beginning of the year, we need your help more than ever to help us find these great resources from the art community. And please don't hesitate to get in touch with us on GitHub to send a pull request to our, our weekly draft and certainly give us a shout us on the curation team if you're interested in joining our efforts. Um, we are currently onboarding another good friend of mine uh, as, we, as I speak, and we're always happy to have more along the way. But on top of that, uh, Mike, where can people find what you're up to in your adventures uh, these days? Sure. You can check me out on Twitter at Mike underscore Ketchbrook, K-E-T-C-H-B-R-O-O-K. Awesome. I am at the RCast. There's going to be a lot of uh, development I do online with my upcoming shiny workshop. Going to try some fun chordal tricks, going to dive into some concepts and some data that I'm excited to kind of turn into an app for teaching. So I'll be sharing a lot of that story along the way. Uh, it'll be a fun uh, couple months, a lot of hectic going on, but it'll, it'll definitely be fun. And um, please don't hesitate to give us a shout on our, on our Twitter handles that you just heard. If you want to give us feedback about the show and certainly feedback on our weekly itself, we always appreciate hearing from all of you around the world. So with that, we'll close up shop here. That is episode 76 of the Our Weekly Highlights podcast, but we'll be back with another edition next week.